And welcome back to the Pin for Pin Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Atkinson, the voice of college bowling. But this episode, I'm bringing you something different. I'm talking to the man, the fearless leader of the Professional Bowlers Tour, Commissioner Tom Clark. How are you doing? Great, Josh. I'm happy to be here. And uh, I enjoy college bowling as well. So um, I'm sure we have a lot to talk about. Well, first, how did you get into the sport of bowling? Well, you know, I bowled in college, but um, <laughs> but I bowled a long time before that. My my dad is a really good bowler, and I grew up in uh, Syracuse, New York, and bowled as soon as I could stand up. I was rolling plastic balls at plastic pins when I could stand, and uh, so I bowled uh, my whole life. And um, and uh, so when it was time to go to college, I, I went to a school that had a bowling team because I wanted to continue uh, continue with bowling. And talk about your college bowling experience, because I feel like that's something that people may not know about you, that you bowled in college. Yeah, I went to Buffalo State College, and uh, Buffalo is a uh, great hotbed for bowling. So besides the college team, we would bowl almost every night in a different sweeper and different bowling centers all around the the area. Uh, And there was great competition, great uh, pro bowlers in that area. especially at the time this is back in the late 80s and uh, early 90s and um and so great education uh in bowling and on my bowling team we had a lot of really good players uh one of which is still a, a professional on the uh, pba 50 tour named gary faulkner um and so uh we had a we had a great team to learn a lot from each of the teammates and um Certainly some of my best friends uh, for, for my whole life came from being on the college bowling team. So that's a really good thing about college bowling. I also learned, you know, where I stood up, where I stood next to the best bowlers in the country. And, you know, would bowl against the Wichita States and the Erie Community Colleges and um, William Patterson and, and a lot of really good players like Justin Romack or Pat Healy and Chris Barnes and uh, Chris Vialli and uh, Brad Angelo, Mike Newman, you know, bowled against a lot of people that went on to long uh, professional careers in bowling. And um, I wasn't quite as good as they were, you know, and I think that the amount of work that it would take uh, to get to that level, um, you know, I, I don't think that I was going to be able to do that and be able to be a, a successful professional bowler. So that's another thing I learned in, in school. But um, I did have some success. I mean, I, I won the ACUI regional uh, championship in the East and uh, won, a, won a trip to the national championship in singles um, in Reno. And this was before the National Bowling Stadium. So I'm, I'm an old guy, but this was like 1990 or something like that. And they had special lanes built in Reno and we bowled at the same time as the, uh, as the masters was going on. So I was on the same lanes, you know, with Mike Albee and Dave Ozio and people like that, that were dominating the tour at the time. And, uh, and uh, that was uh, another great experience. It was really the first time that I ever traveled that far and that far by myself. And so you get a lot of learning uh, experiences in, in college bowling. But I, I loved it. I loved my favorite tournament every year was the St. Louis match games, they called it. And it was right during Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm not sure if that's still going on today, but it should be. It should have kept going forever. And the other thing that the connection is that I have to today's game 
besides the fact that my son bowls college bowling now, is um, the, the Helmer Cup, you know, that, that goes to the champion of the intercollegiate every year. Uh, that's named after a guy named Kerm Helmer. And Kerm was my chaperone to Reno the year I won the ACUI. Uh, and he was the coach of Erie Community College uh, that we bowled against every week when I was at Buff State. So I knew Kerm very well, and uh, that trophy is very aptly, very well named because if it wasn't for people like Kerm Helmer, and I just saw like Bill Straub went into the Nebraska Hall of Sports Hall of Fame, those types of people really grew uh, college bowling and stayed with it and, and made it what it is today. That is so true with those type of people. I did see Bill Straub go into that Hall of Fame as well. You you don't forget about his body of work, but you see like, wow, it's been like sustained success. And now Paul Klempa, who's there, continued that success with the national championship. Yeah. Yeah. Nebraska is really impressive. And then you, you know, you wake up and they also and they just got Jillian Martin. So I don't see the women's team uh, falling back very far. <laughs> That's a pretty good recruit. Also, you mentioned uh, Gary Faulkner, your teammate. By any chances, he have relation to Gary Faulkner Jr., who no, won on the tour? Not related, no, related. Uh, <laughs> Faulkner Jr. won the PBA World Championship uh, in, yeah. in Reno, and that was, I think, 2015. 2015, yeah. Was there. That was one of my favorite events to put on. The World Series was huge that year, and uh, we that that show was on a Thursday night in prime time on ESPN, and we had a huge crowd i mean it was at least two thousand, i think people in there and uh, we got as many in there as we could to be able to have a good sight line and gary faulkner jr winning that was um, was a real crowning achievement um, gary faulkner my friend is a little bit older than he is <laughs> so he's in his 50s now and bowling on the pda 50 tour well gary faulkner jr another former college bowler bowled at weber but talking right. about the what's called the world's years of bowling that's kind of been the thing well, I would, it was not your crowning achievement. You still got a long ways to go, but definitely one of the biggest events that happened in your tenure as commissioner. So talk about how that all came about and where it was from the beginning to where it is now. Yeah, thanks. I mean, uh, the World Series was a concept that it came, it came about for a lot, a combination of reasons. I mean, uh, at the time, uh, the, the, the country was coming out of a, recession or was in a recession and the PBA's uh, the amount of revenue and the amount of, uh, amount of money we had to to produce television and the amount of money the players had you know to spend to tour was lower than it had been and so we wanted to create an event where players uh, and the tour could be in in one location but do multiple events and try to create enough diversity at that event uh, to make it exciting day after day after day and create multiple television shows out of uh, one setting. And, and so there was, there was a, uh, we were creating an efficiency, but at the same time, uh, the international game of bowling was taking off. And I was very aware of that. I worked at the USBC prior to being with the PBA and, and was, uh, you know, I remember going to Thailand and, uh, um, and, and watching the world championships and, and recognize that there were several players there that should should have been on the PBA tour because they were at the highest level of the game. And to me, 
when I went to the PBA in, in 2008, that was my first goal was to make sure the best players in the world were on college and that the PBA continued to stand for the best players in the world. And for most of the history of the PBA, the best players in the world were from the USA. But starting around that time, being able to have an event that made sense for international players to come to the U.S. because they could come to one location and have multiple opportunities, as opposed to coming and trying to make it out of a PTQ and then have to wait a week to bowl. And it just didn't make sense for a lot of guys to come. And so the World Series was perfect for growing the game internationally. And and ever since that 2008-09 um, World Series, you've seen uh, the PBA with more international members, more international winners uh, than you've ever seen uh, in the history of the game. So certainly on those two ways, it was, uh, it's been very uh, successful. Well, another part of the World Series of Bowling that's been successful was the collegiate invite. Now, I got to watch that in my dorm room with my teammates, and since we're a college bowling podcast, I'll ask you about it. How did that all come about? I read something before that that had been kind of on the books to get, but this year was the first year of implementation. Yeah, you know, we well, the, when the, the PBA... Uh, moved to Bolero as ownership and Bolero was able to start what we something we wanted to do for a long time, which was PBA junior. And so the PBA getting involved with all levels of the game has always been a, a dream of mine. And to see that become a reality is great. And I think PBA collegiate is another one of those areas, whether or not we can create an event that's part of the uh, intercollegiate schedule or our own invitational event like we did to get things started last year at the World Series. Um, but I would expect it to continue, you know, into next year and maybe we can expand on it. Um, we haven't finalized anything yet, but but uh, I, I certainly feel like um, the collegiate is some of the most exciting bowling that anyone could see. So it, it belongs on national TV where that we can give it. And, and it's also, you know, the proving ground for the next generation of great professional bowlers. And so like last year, you know, when you saw that show, you saw people like Ryan Barnes and um, I don't know, you name them, I mean, TJ Rock, that whole Wichita team could probably become professionals. The, you know, SCAD with Julian and, um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll leave names out, but I mean, St. Ambrose with Cameron Crow and uh, Stubler and, you know, you see the type of players that in the future will be great pro bowlers. So being able to see them in college uh, was uh, really cool. Weber was also there in the in, inaugural year. So, um, you know, see, the, we were able to bring a, a spotlight to uh, great programs across the country. Uh, and, and the idea for kids growing up that are in PBA junior or want to get in PBA junior that you can bowl in college and look how fun it is and look how competitive it is. And it's the next step for you as a competitive bowler. Um, so uh, I was, I was really happy that we were able to just start it. You know, that's always the key to everything is you just got to do it. You know, we did it, we got it going and now we'll see how where it grows. And I always remember hearing old telecasts like, oh, Chris Barnes bowled at Wichita State or Bill O'Neill bowling in college or even more recently you have like Brad Miller who bowled at Lindenwood. And so it's all of these pros that bowled in college, but you never really get to see that kind of college atmosphere. And that was one of the things I really liked about the college invite because it just reminded me of a college bowling tournament. 
Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big sports fan and big basketball fan and football fan. And, you know, you know these, you know the top players from, from their college careers, and then you get to follow them into the NBA or the NFL. And, um, and that's a great succession. And, and I think that uh, bowling is the same. And earlier you mentioned that you used to work for the USBC before being the Christian for the PBA. So just talk about your time there and what it was like working for the USBC. Yeah, I learned a lot about the inner workings of the industry of bowling. And, you know, I had come from the media world and, um, and uh, you know, came in and worked for some really experienced uh, veterans of the industry that knew the ins and outs of, of how things work uh, on all levels. Um, and so being able to work with them was, was great. I was, I was uh, the uh, director of communications at first, and then I was the VP for media and, uh, and just had different positions. But mostly what I basically was doing was trying to get as much attention for bowling as possible. And, and uh, my last year there, I, I led the USBC strategic planning group and um, the board, uh, the, the, the board leads it, but I was the, the staff liaison for the strategic planning. And, and our whole plan was to elevate the idea of bowling as a sport. And that meant getting on television. And we created some televised events where we had players of all different ages and uh, competing with each other on, on national TV and got some really good ratings. And we were able to start the PBA Women's Series, uh, bring back the PBA um, Women's, uh, U, the, the Women's U.S. Open. Uh, these were things that were not going on at the time. And it was very uh, sad to me that pro women's bowling had kind of ceased to exist other than the Queen once a year. And the tour had folded. And so this was a few, a few years later, and we brought back a women's series and got the women back on television working with the PBA and brought the U.S. Open back in some creative formats that got more television for the top women bowlers. And and so I, I was really happy with uh, the light we could we could shine on the greatest women bowlers. And I think and I hope that, that helped lead to the PWBA coming back. Well, it certainly did. I'm sure Kelly Kulik winning the 2010 U.S. Open also helped out. And I believe they even bowled in, I think it was the Cowboys Stadium, if I remember correctly, for one of the queens. And that was pretty neat. Yeah, that was awesome. I think that was in conjunction with Bowl Expo. And, um, yeah, that was uh, an awesome uh, experience for them. And Kelly won the Tournament of Champions. I mean, that's one of the great stories in the history of professional bowling, you know, to uh, – and she actually won her birth into that event by winning the Women's World Championship at the first PBA World Series of bowling. She won the World Championship at the World Series, and that earned her a special invite into the TOC. And she did what no one thought was possible. I mean, she com competed uh, against the men every single pin every single game there was no advantage there was no there was no uh, handicap it was straight up and she just kept making cuts and in, in the round of uh, 24 round robin match play she was it was so inspiring to sit there and watch her make the final make the top five for the show and uh, and then uh, you know run run the ladder basically beating uh, beating Chris Barnes Barnes well who'd she be first Mika 
Ah. Uh, or, uh, yeah, and and uh, and then and then Barnes. Uh, I mean, yeah. just uh, just incredible uh, to watch on television. No one would ever would ever forget it. Yeah, and now she sometimes commentates for uh, college bowling whenever it's on. So it's exciting to see how all these people have different hands in college bowling and how it's affected people in many different ways. Yeah, she was a great college bowler, Morehead State, right? Correct. Yes. Uh, and, well, she's one of the greatest bowlers of all time. She's been great at everything. Well, Team USA, obviously, and as a professional, and, and she has great insight on on TV when she can be the analyst. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely one of the uh, special personalities throughout uh, the time I've been working in professional bowling. Well, you talked about how you kind of got into media. Was that something you wanted to do straight out of college, or did you have to kind of think about it first and maybe try a couple different areas? No, you know, that was always my uh, my interest. I was always a writer. I worked for the local newspaper when I was still in high school, believe it or not, and, and was able to, the, the Syracuse uh, Herald Journal, I was able to cover high school sporting events and really kind of first be an intern, then a contributor on their staff, even when I was in high school. And I just always loved newspapers. They're out of style nowadays, but uh, back in the day, that was how you got your news. And, uh, and so I love sports and uh, love to read about sports, sports books, sports magazines and sports newspapers. And and so uh, I, I always kind of knew I wanted to be a part of, of sports and I really liked writing about it as much as playing. And um, and so uh, when I went to school, I, I, I majored in journalism. I basically majored in journalism and bowling. <laughs> and uh, I think I spent more time in on bowling, but. I also uh, was the editor of our school of our school newspaper, the sports editor, and then the managing editor. I met my wife there. <laughs> the, uh, she was the editor of the paper, and um, and so I was always in journalism. And I um, immediately out of school uh, actually started my own uh, sports magazine, founded it, and uh, produced it, sold the advertising in it, you know, delivered it, did everything with this magazine, and then. I sold that business and uh, moved down to uh, to uh, Washington D.C. area and uh, was a sports editor of a daily newspaper and then I became a managing editor of a paper in North Carolina and then landed uh, with where really it was like for me going to the big leagues was uh, going to USA Today's sports department which at the time was the most read and most uh, really respected sports section in the country. And I've learned so much there from the people uh, that, and I learned a lot about uh, other professional sports because you have this incredible access when you work at USA Today Sports back then, at least. And um, and so I was able. People would come to our office that ran every single sport, and I was really heavily involved with tennis, uh, golf, uh, the NBA, um, the NFL, and uh, uh, and so people that running sports and then other smaller sports were trying to get coverage in USA Today, like pro bowl riding, for example. And because I've always had a soft spot for bowling and smaller type sports, I really, I, I tend to respect those sports that are niche and trying to gain a, a attention. And so I uh, learned a lot from the CEO of pro bowl riding and I kind of started formulating ideas for how bowling could could uh, reemerge, you know, and at the, about the same time, uh, bowling, the PBA was purchased by the, the guys from Microsoft, and it was a huge story. 
uh, because it really saved professional bowling. And, and so uh, I saw a potential to be able to work with them and help them. And, uh, and that's how things grew. And when you're at USA Today, did you learn any leadership experience? Because I know you gravitate to different areas of sport, but you can also gravitate to different people and they have different amounts of knowledge that you can uh, grab. And so what type of leadership qualities did you gain from working there? Absolutely. That's a, that's a great question. I mean, I learned how to, you know, conduct yourself in meetings in order to get your point across um, and, um, and be respectful, you know, of everybody that's trying to pitch their ideas because every day at a, at a daily newspaper as big as, as USA Today, there are at least two big meetings where people are essentially fighting for space in that paper. And so you have to come prepared with why your story is, is better or why it deserves the, the, the attention that you want it to get. And, and then you have to come up with ideas and, and to be able to always get your stories in. And, um, and so you have a lot weighing on your performance. So you watch other people, how they do things, and, and you try to get comfortable in that setting. And uh, yeah, that's a daily learning experience at a place like uh, USA Today. And, and there's so many people with different skill sets. Um, there's some people that are just incredible writers or someone that's an incredible designer or someone that's a great photographer uh, or someone who can just get the right story or be fearless or just manage a situation so that um, you know the, the timing works out. I had a guy named Robert Robinson in my uh, sports department who's basically his job was to make sure we made deadline every day. And watching that guy work, you know, was incredible. And I was also intimidated by him. I, you know, you got to learn how to finish. Right. So, yeah, that was great uh, learning experience. It was very difficult for me to leave there. I, I only left because I, I had it uh, in, my, in my belief that I could have an impact on bowling and make it, make it a better sport. So, and I really loved the sport of bowling, so I, I took that leap. Now, it certainly worked out because now you're the commissioner. So talk about how you did become the commissioner because, you know, in these major sports, you don't really see, you know, commissioners coming and going that often. You know, Roger Goodell with the NFL has been there forever. Pete Rozell, one of the great commissioners. So just talk about how you became the commissioner. Yeah, well, gee, at this point, I... St I I was named commissioner in 2011, so now I've been here longer than most commissioners. So <laughs> my tenure's been just about as long as those guys. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I well, I was always you know driving driving force in the media side uh, of the PBA, and um, when the commissioner left in 20 or when uh, yeah uh, the commissioner I came in with Fred Schreier, he hired me and. And he's who I worked with, and I became deputy commissioner for him. And then when he left, um, the new CEO of the PBA elevated me to commission. And, you know, I think that uh, everyone really recognized my passion for it. And, um, and I really appreciate the, the trust that I had because we, you know, we had, we had created a lot of events um, prior to me being commissioner when I was deputy commissioner, like the World Series event, like the Chris Paul event, or like like uh, the PBA playoffs, or, you know, any number of things. You know, we had brought 
the PBA to uh, back to ABC television or the tournament of champions uh, at Red Rock. You know, we've done a lot of kind of exciting things. Uh, and so they entrusted me with, uh, with moving up from, from deputy commissioner. Well, as someone who you've done a lot of media and you've done a lot of media work. And so getting that message out about bowling, that's one thing a commissioner has to get the message across in a quick manner that everybody can understand. And you've done a great job of that. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. So you also have another very important job, and that's being the director of sports and competition for the IBF. So just talk about what that role entails. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I'm actually not with them anymore. That was a fat, that was kind of a, a, a one a six month or one year long type of a relationship where I helped them get through the uh, World Championship in Dubai and went to Dubai for that. But I certainly have a, uh, a, a, a huge interest and a belief in bowling being an Olympic sport. And so when the IBF was going through changes, um, some dramatic changes, uh, the, the CEO uh, came to me and asked me to join him and help him. And, uh, and I would do really anything um, anyone would ask me to do to help try to get bowling into the Olympics. Uh, but now that they, but uh, things have gone in some different directions. I think they're trying to sort some things out and get through uh, their own issues before they can relaunch a real uh, passionate attack at at getting uh, bowling back in the Olympics. And I'll be there to help at, at any point. And you've gone with this company. You've been at USA Today. So in these really like leadership roles. So talk about your management style. Well, I hope it's very respectful. You know, I try to put my, I try to put, uh, try to, you try to learn the perspective and the goals of everyone that you work with and try to understand their vantage point. And because I've worked in so many different places and so many different positions, you know, I, I kind of know how it feels, you know, to, uh, to lead people, but also to be led by people uh, and, and I know that everybody doesn't have the exact same goals or the exact same strengths. And so you're trying to get the best out of people and you try to get, uh, and you try to uh, respect them and understand, you know, their vantage point. And, uh, you know, the staff we had at the PBA from, I'd say, uh, uh, since I was commissioner from about 2011 to, to uh, 2019 or so, it was really, a really tight knit group and they were really small. It was a small group and, and um, uh, they were all doing three or four jobs each. And it was purely, purely based on a, a passion for the game and an interest in making the PBA successful. And it was really special to be a part of that, that group. And now it's a different type of a situation because with Bolero, it's a bigger corporate um, uh, entity and they have, so many holdings that can help the PBA and help and, and help bowling. And you can combine, you know, 300 bowling centers with owning the PBA. And so now it's working with a whole new group of people that come at it from completely different perspectives that I really can learn a lot more about. For example, I don't know anything about, you know, you know, the proprietor's side of bowling that deals with food and beverage. You know, that wasn't a concern 
But now I understand how important that is. I understand the perspectives of people running bowling centers and, and trying to, and how they look at partnerships with the PBA a little bit better. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's always a, a chance. You want to have a learning environment. You want to have a uh, respectful environment. And you want people to see that, that you're, you're really in this to keep moving forward. You know, if things happen that aren't great, you got to let it go and move to the next. You got to stay focused. It's, it's kind of like bowling. You, know, you have to stay focused and let the let the bad stuff go, and concentrate on the next shot. You know, and uh, make sure you do you do all your process correctly on that next shot. So um, so you, you can bring a lot of what you learn in college bowling to really any job. Uh, teamwork is so important in college bowling. Um, you know. You're really only as good as your as your weakest link, you know, and you want to bring everybody along. Communication is incredibly important. And as you know, I mean, the teams that communicate and, and share information the best are the teams that do the best. So, you know, a lot of stuff you learn in college bowling you could bring to any profession. Most definitely. I think one thing where it really shows is the PBA league, even though they're not college bowlers, you still get to see that Baker style format that's so prevalent in college bowling. And you get to see, you know, when Norm Dukes shot three in the 10th for Dallas to get a 300. Well, Norm Dukes, one of the best to ever do it, but he can't shoot 300 if someone, you know, wrap tens or stone eights. And so it's just one of those things. That's right. Yeah, that's cool. I love watching the league. I love watching the best in the world work together, cheer for each other. You know, you see a lot more emotion, uh, a lot more pressure. I mean, when you're when you're up there and you've got I mean, not just uh, fighting for yourself, but you're fighting for an entire team. Um, it's just a completely different dynamic. You know, there's more time in between shots as opposed to individual tournaments. So really team bowling is is really a lot different than uh, individual bowling and and the people that can do both uh you know it, it shows you know you, you can tell when someone really takes a shine to the team atmosphere and that's one of the things that you know kind of gets college athletes because for the most part uh some states don't have high school bowling so you don't really get that team you have different type of youth tours where it's all about the individual and then when you get to college it's like oh I have to work with the team. You're a team player, but you've never had that team dynamic. So it's kind of like learning all of that at once. But then once you have that chemistry, you build off that and then you shoot whatever high games you do. And it feels amazing because you're not just working for you. You're working for people around you as well. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to learn um, when you first start to be humble and not come in like, well, I did this and I did this and I did this and I did all these things. So I should be the man, you know, you got to fit in uh, to a team. And, and so you have to be really humble and prove it on the lanes to get to where you want to be. That's, and it's, it's tough. I mean, sometimes I, I know, uh, you know, kids will think, well, the coach doesn't like me or they don't, they don't know what I can do. Or I didn't have this chance. And, and you know what? That's true sometimes. I mean, sometimes that happens. That happens in life. It happens with any boss. Or it happens with And you have to just fight through it, you know, and you got to keep keep fighting. It really comes down to practice and practicing more and, uh, and um, asking, you know, communicate. You know, kids should ask their coach, what do I need to do to do that? And they'll probably they'll tell you and then, then do it. 
and uh, and you'll be surprised where you where you end up. And we talked a little bit about how you're kind of absorbing all of this information, but talk about how your media background kind of helps you in your role as the with the PBI. I know my media background kind of helps me when I whether it's this podcast or whether it's my articles in other facets of life, whether that's school or whatever jobs I have. But you have a much bigger role as the leader of basically a, a professional industry. So just talk about how your background helps you today. Yeah, I, I really think that uh, a lot of people don't necessarily respect the grind that being a journalist is and having to get all of the information and be correct about everything that you ever say and do it quickly and, uh, and work with people like editors to, uh, to, to get the finished product and, and I brought a lot of that um, to the, the initially with the PBA. I did not have a lot of experience doing television. I had some at USBC and, of course, being around professional sports at, at places like USA Today gave me a lot of experience around television. But, but actually producing shows is essentially an executive producer. I had to learn a lot, and that's where I'm thankful for People like David Schroeder or David Bruner, our producer, people with the PBA that had, you know, decades of experience um, doing television. And so I was able to learn really quickly. And, of course, I always watched sports on TV with a critical eye and, and you learn that it's not so easy to just, hey, do it all this way instead of this way. You've got you've to learn how to work with a lot of different people in a big crew and make sure everybody's, you know, on the same page to be able to move things forward. But now, since I've been with the PBA since 2008, doing 25 you know, shows a year for 10 years, I have a lot of experience in television. I know that it really comes down to telling the story. And you know, we have great uh, announcers like Rob Stone or Dave Ryan or uh, Dave Lamont or um, Mike Gay for a while or, or um, Randy Peterson. You know, Kimberly Pressler, you know, people who are professionals who want to get the right story and they want to tell the fans what's going on. And that's really the best thing we can do is just help people, help people enjoy what they're watching. And, um, you know, so you have to present it in a way that isn't doesn't make it confusing for people, but at the same time, not insult their intelligence. You have to keep elevating the level of discourse. But most of all, it comes down to you know, making the audience care who wins. And then when they care and they're invested, it's one of the great sports to watch on TV. So, uh, and then you got the other sides of the media. Like we created the YouTube, our YouTube channel. It's up to about 300,000 subscribers. We created uh, Extra Frame and that's evolved. Uh, and we still involved with live streaming and will be going forward. Uh, so live streaming of our events is such a, uh, a big part of our media. And then you have uh, the website and the social media and our email communications. Uh, and it's something that we created, a few, you know, another, again, 10 years ago, the PBA network to bring all of those things together. And then also effort to get public relations for the PBA. And, and so a lot of those things, you know, it was weird during COVID. It's like everything came to a halt and we're sort of restarting now. So we're getting everything going back the way it was before COVID when we were on a really great momentum. Uh, and so we're going to be back there for this coming year for sure. 
And you talked about growing the PBA in all facets, not just on the media side, but also television and all that. But you've also had big names come on the PBA and kind of get different, I would say, section of the world and different sports associated with the PBA, like the Chris Paul events in the past and the Jamie Allen events. So just talk about those influential people that have really helped the PBA grow. Yeah, those have been a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, but we've had A-list stars for the last 10 years with Chris Paul and now with Jimmy Allen. We've got a new show that's based around music, and he's an artist. And uh, and what it's really born of, though, is their love of bowling. They enjoy bowling. And it's not just trying to find celebrities, throw them out there and, and, and bowl. It's people that are serious, like T.O. You know, he just really cares. He's a competitive person. Or... Um, Mookie Betts, you know, he's a great bowler, and, uh, you know, and Chris, Chris, you might not call him a great bowler, but he really loved the game and loved to bowl. And he's a, he's a bowler and, uh, same, and Jimmy, same thing. He loves the game and just wants to bowl every chance he gets. He travels with his equipment. He's on the road. He wants to bowl PBA regionals. So you have people like that that show respect to the PBA players, uh, that, helps other people who maybe wouldn't take the time to to consider professional bowling uh, uh they, they get they get a look in and maybe it'll be something they become more interested in or if, even if it just gets them to go bowling once it's it's good um but uh it's been a lot of fun to watch our pros mingle with big time celebrities who are enjoying the sport of bowling and uh it really it usually does really good ratings numbers and it helps us with our negotiations and our uh, on national television. So, yeah, those, those things have been a lot of fun. Well, the Jamie Allen event will air October 16th. This podcast will be out afterwards, but check your local listings on Fox and the Fox Sports app. I'm sure I did that. Not as well as Rob Stone would, but <laughs> good enough to get the message across. My team and I, we were there. We were outside of Charlotte. It was at Bolero Matthews, so we took a trip over there, and it was a really fun event. My first PBA event, so it's really say fun hi? to watch. Come say hi to me. Yeah, I did. Sean, my teammate, Sean did. I said hi to you. Said hi back. I was like, I don't know if he'll remember me, but I'll <laughs> tell him on the podcast. Or but are yeah, on, uh, are you on uh, the team? Abbey, yeah. Oh, you're on the team. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, your your teammate. Um, bowled with my son at the team masters uh yeah you know this year and so i got to know uh him and his dad a little bit and uh so yeah oh cool i, I wish i had known it was you there i would have spent more time with you i didn't know but yeah. that's great we'll be back next year so i'll awesome. definitely make a more stronger point but i knew you were kind of busy so i didn't want to impose <laughs> sorry well, as we wind down here, Commissioner Clark, is there anything you wish to add, you know, maybe a PBA announcements or just things that people should be looking forward to for this next season? Well, I'd stay tuned, you know, to the PBA social media and the website because I think you'll see the schedule and the television schedule for, you know, within the next couple of weeks. You know, it'll be out uh, probably about the end of October, right at the beginning of November. Um, I think maybe the, the, the part of it that I'll, the, the, the breaking news I'll give you is I think the first event will be the U.S. Open, you know, uh, right at the end of January in Indianapolis at the Great Woodland Bowl, uh, and it'll end February 5th, and that'll be the uh, that'll be the first 
event and then we're off to the races and there's going to be a bunch of uh bunch of different ways to follow the pba i think you'll see the the major championships really elevated and and feel even bigger than they do now and uh, and i think you've got you know some really really strong players in the history of the game that are going to be going at it this year i mean we, we seem to have about you know 10 or 12 uh players that you know at some point or other people are going to say these are these are hall of fame players you know and uh, if they're not already you know uh with enough credentials to be in the hall of fame and um and so it'll be a it's going to be one of those times where you just never know what's going to happen and as you know there's going to be people coming into the pba young players uh young guys who are on a regional tour who are going to step it up uh, next year and so there'll be names that we didn't even think of that you'll see on television this year and uh and make a name for themselves. So uh, I, it's always exciting. Every year is a different story. Uh, you know, of course, Belmo has been very dominant. I'm sure he's the favorite to win the, the 2022 player of the year again, he's seven, and which would tie him all time with uh, ultimately William if that happens. And, um, and that means he'll be going after the all-time record next year, you know, if he can make it eight. So he's already got the all-time record for major championships. And, um, and it's uh, it's really uh, been an amazing career to watch. But when you think about the Anthony Simonsons and EJ Tackett and uh, Chris Prather, Dom Barrett, and, you know the guys that the, the guys that have been around for a while that bowled in college like Sean Rash or Bill O'Neill, you know it's a it's a fight every week. So it's great to watch, and uh, I hope the college kids uh, enjoy it as well. Well, I know we'll be watching. I know me and my team were gunning for that PBA Collegiate Invitational. So you can best believe Belma Abbey will get there soon enough. But that's the end of this episode on the Pin Pin Podcast. So I'll leave you all with this. The levels of success are good, better, best. So never let it rest so you're better than the best. See you all next week.